It was hard to be a Tsar. Russia is not an easy country to rule. Twenty sovereigns of the Romanov dynasty reigned for 304 years, from 1613 until Tsardom's destruction by the revolution in 1917. Their ascent started in the reign of Ivan the Terrible and ended in the time of Rasputin. Romantic chroniclers of the tragedy of the last Tsar like to suggest that the family was cursed, but the Romanovs were actually the most spectacularly successful empire builders since the Mongols. The Russian Empire, it is estimated, grew by 55 square miles, 142 square kilometres per day after the Romanovs came to the throne in 1613, or 20,000 square miles a year. By the late 19th century, they ruled one-sixth of the Earth's surface, and they were still expanding. Empire building was in a Romanov's blood. In some ways, this book is a study of character and the distorting effect of absolute power on personality. It is partly a family story of love, marriage, adultery and children, but it is not like other such stories. Royal families are always extraordinary because power both enriches and poisons the traditional familial chemistry. The allure and corruption of power so often trump the loyalty and affection of blood. This is a history of the monarchs, their families and retinues, but it is also a portrait of absolutism in Russia. And whatever else one believes about Russia, its culture, its soul, its essence, have always been exceptional, a nature which one family aspired to personify. The Romanovs have become the very definition not only of dynasty and magnificence, but also of despotism, a parable of the folly and arrogance of absolute power. No other dynasty except the Caesars has such a place in the popular imagination and culture, and both deliver universal lessons about how personal power works then and now. It is no coincidence that the title Tsar derives from Caesar, just as the Russian for emperor is simply the Latin imperator. The Romanovs inhabit a world of family rivalry, imperial ambition, lurid glamour, sexual excess and depraved sadism. This is a world where obscure strangers suddenly claim to be dead monarchs reborn, brides are poisoned, fathers torture their sons to death, sons kill fathers, wives murder husbands, a holy man, poisoned and shot, arises apparently from the dead, barbers and peasants ascend to supremacy, giants and freaks are collected, dwarfs are tossed, beheaded heads kissed, tongues torn out, flesh knouted off bodies, rectums impaled, children slaughtered. Here are fashion-mad, nymphomaniacal empresses, lesbian ménage à trois, and an emperor who wrote the most erotic correspondence ever written by a head of state. Yet this is also the empire built by flinty conquistadors and brilliant statesmen that conquered Siberia and Ukraine, took Berlin and Paris, and produced Pushkin, Tolstoy, Tchaikovsky and Dostoevsky, a civilization of towering culture and exquisite beauty. Out of context, these excesses seem so overblown and outlandish that ascetic academic historians find themselves bashfully toning down the truth. After all, the legends of the Romanovs, the juice of Hollywood movies and TV drama series, are as potent and popular as the facts. That is why the teller of this story has to be wary of melodrama, mythology and teleology, the danger of writing history backwards, and cautious of methodology. Skepticism is essential. Scholarship demands constant verification and analysis, 
but one of the benefits of narrative history is that each reign appears in context to give a portrait of the evolution of Russia, its autocracy, and its soul. And in these larger-than-life characters, misshapen by autocracy, a distorted mirror appears, which reflects the tropes of all human character right back at us. If the challenge of ruling Russia has always been daunting, the role of autocrat could only be truly exercised by a genius, and there are very few of those in most families. The price of failure was death. In Russia, the government is autocracy tempered by strangulation, quipped the French woman of letters Madame de Stael. It was a dangerous job. Six of the last twelve Tsars were murdered, two by throttling, one by dagger, one by dynamite, two by bullet. In the final catastrophe in 1918, 18 Romanovs were killed. Rarely was a chalice so golden and so poisoned. I particularly examine each succession, always the best test of a regime's stability. It is ironic that now, two centuries after the Romanovs finally agreed a law of succession, Russian presidents still effectively nominate their successors, just as Peter the Great did. Whether a smooth handover or desperate transition, these moments of extreme tension, when existential necessity demands that every reserve of ingenuity be deployed, every intrigue explored, reveal the fundamentals of power. The essence of Tsardom was the projection of majesty and strength, yet this had to be combined with what Otto von Bismarck, rival and ally of the Romanovs, called the art of the possible, the attainable, the art of the next best. For the Romanovs, the art of survival was based on the balancing of clans, interests and personalities of both a minuscule court and a gigantic empire. Emperors needed to keep the support of their army, nobility and their administration. If they lost all three, they were likely to be deposed, and in an autocracy that usually meant death. As well as playing the lethal game of politics, the sovereigns had to exude visceral, almost feral authority. An effective Tsar could be harsh, provided he was consistently harsh. Rulers are often killed not for brutality, but for inconsistency. And Tsars had to inspire trust and respect among their courtiers, but sacred reverence among the peasantry, 90% of their subjects, who saw them as little fathers. They were expected to be harsh to their officials, but benign to their peasant children. The Tsar is good, peasants said. The nobles are wicked.'